Hi, my name is um, John Marshall Palmer, and you are listening to Pearl Sound, I think. Um, namely, you are listening to my audiobook for my first collection of poems, Searching for Smoke Rings. I'm really excited to share these poems with y'all. Um, some of these are old, some of these are new, some of these have been sitting on for a very long time, not knowing where they would go, and they have finally found a home uh, in the Marls Karks canon, and I am incredibly excited um, to have this out. I just want to talk to y'all for a moment before I got into the poems, because honestly, I kind of think that audiobooks as a medium, they could do more to talk to the audience a little more directly, so I wanted to have a little chat with y'all. Um, first, I wanted to remind you that um, the physical copies as well as the PDFs of Searching for Smoke Rings can be found on the Gumroad website for Marl's Carks. Just go to gumroad.com slash L slash smoke rings and you can pick up a copy of the book for $5 plus a few bucks for shipping. Um, if this is not something you can afford, if you can afford a smaller price or maybe you can't afford any price at all just let us know we want to we want to make this um book available to everybody so just let us know send us a dm or send us an email um i want to thank a whole bunch of people for making this happen i'm actually going to read the acknowledgments uh before i even get into the poems so we're gonna start there thanks to the following publications in which some of these poems first appeared Gridlock, Muzzy, and You're Dead first appeared electronically in Cleaning Up Glitter. Sweet Tea first appeared in Underground of Georgia State University. Androgen Number 4 first appeared in Airlock Magazine. An earlier draft of Put That in Your Pipe and Smoke It first appeared in Angles. An earlier draft of What the Balcony is For first appeared electronically in Cathexis Northwest Press. Uh, tongue twister. And One Cigarette first appeared electronically in Paint Bucket. Um... And off of Mars Karks, of course, I'm sure there's some poem from here that might have wound up in there. Maybe not, I could be mistaken. Um, immense thanks to the folks who have personally helped me with this project, including first and foremost, Delilah Pierre, Claire Dwyer, uh, the guild members of the Tallahassee Writers Collective, um, Dr. Will Ferguson, uh, James Rosser, and Dr. Juan Carlos Galliano. Uh, additional thanks to the folks who have supported me and this work including, but not limited to, Regina Joseph, uh, Satya Stark-Bainar. They might have different last names at this point. They got married. So congrats, y'all. I love you so much. Um, Jamila Lord, Alexa, Zachary Schultz, Jules Bailey, Jordan Scott, uh, my guy Roman, Val, Issa Casanova, and my beloved partner, Freddie, to whom I dedicate this work. Without further ado... Um, this is Searching for Smoke Rings. Searching for Smoke Rings. Cautiously, I scan my mirror, judging the mouth-formed haze. Stubble steeps, the lines blur from the glint and the reflection. Their mouth, a purposeful O, their eyes scrutinizing the opening, the horn from which to blow smoke. I refuse to look since I've come out. Make a shape. Leave a mark on time. The smoke drags a rake through their throats' topsoil. That was weird. I thought vision didn't feel like this, seeing something for the first time, and it feels like seeing and remembering a new spectrum in which I see myself, them, 
It feels blown out like the crest of a clipping volume knob with soft dust in its hinges. Their eyes sting due to never seeing themselves as red. I watched their puckered lips in the mirror trailing out like so many nebulas. I love this moment when the chemical bonds loosen and the clouds spread themselves against the mirror. On my phone's camera, I remember their breath, their finger never touching the button, reflecting over and over in the mirror, in and out, forward and reverse, sound out of sync. I'm reminded masculinity feels like a film I often rinse off of me, scrub out of me. Underneath scar tissue like spider silk, I'm reminded of what's visible. They are, I am someone else. You're dead. You're dead, and some fiend pumps electricity through your brain. Your body is only thinking dead thoughts. They're almost thoughts like yours, but with an aftertaste like imitation crab and dust. You're dead, and sadly, every word ejected from your throat is a knife thrust between my ribs, a stone's throw in time, and I don't know how you expect me to talk with these gaps in my sails. You're dead. Every flinch of your corpse reflected with gamepad input, and pixels start bellowing in swan song. A tongue I never really taste with, a limb I must learn to regenerate. You're dead, and there was no guru art at your funeral, no leftist propaganda songs. The typewriter broke. You're dishonorably discharged at any rate. I know what they said. You're dead. Prospector in your pine plastic death basket, no sips from your dirty bottle, like Bill Hanks trying to be the brother he knows he ain't in a minefield of copyrights. You're dead, a meme thief, searching for the engines that make the commune chug over your cold, stiff snow corpse. There are no keys to open said box or succeed in such an exam as this one. You're dead. And it's not like I hadn't been grieving the loss of you and your thoughts for these weeks, stains of your being that I don't care to wash out of my couch, a fool's errand at any rate. You're dead, and when you told me so, I began the process of living life for my dear self. If I may say so, I think it's about time that someone turned off your electricity. Sweet tea. Condensation over clear glass. I wonder how Granny always managed to keep things together. Bedrooms kept like museum exhibits, a plethora of appointments and birthdays, a pile of sedans caked in rust grazing in the pasture, sugar, water, black tea, ice, heat, time. She teaches me how to scramble an egg, split peas and white linen. The horses used to come until they were found belly up within draft. Copper, shotguns, uniforms, time, how Papa always seemed to leave everything in decay. Rows of potatoes and corn, the only thing safe from his leaking garage. Fishnets, water, chamomile, heat, time. I guess the only difference between us is I live in my own leaking. A garage where vinyl goes to warp. A pasture where songs go belly up. Androgen number four. Before I read this one, um... This one is written for a black trans woman who was murdered in Jacksonville, and her name was Celine Walker. And um, the photo that you see in, um, of her, she's wearing a necklace that says hope. So this is androgen number four. When I was younger, I asked my dad to call me son, and yet my room was painted bright pink. 
At one time, he expected a daughter, and that was that. An identity characterized by ambiguity. No wonder I retreated into pastels and the softcore porn blue of four in the morning, cotton clouds on my ceiling. I can't remember what I was thinking when I would stare up at the white on pink. I was thinking the dust. There would have been moments... There would be moments in which we should have been seen, but were hidden. I had no idea. Hope was in my dad's hammer. Now it's in nail polish we steal from CVS. It's in little church candles as wax spills onto the Capitol steps. Celine's vigil had about 20 or so mourners. Another number on a list we don't want to need. I head back to my apartment on Jefferson and notice a sea of tailgates covering the stadium parking lot. Their owners never having seen the lists we keep. February Faces It's been several days. I began this tightrope walk. Broken glass became your pensive face. Burning hair and blue bottles tripping gradually into the street. I mumbled around until I found you, sitting against the wall, hidden behind a honeycomb of curls, trying not to be seen, Unveiled as a shroud into a dream. Face down, my skin yearned for sunlight. Naturally, I had to wake myself up. As I put on my shoes, the gunshots reverberated in my Eustachian tube, and my endolymph poured out back onto the sidewalk. After replenishing my inner ear fluids, I made my way towards you, long lost under a sky of magenta, lavender, dusking blue. And as my naked ears took in the muted colors, my fluids were once again accosted by that dream I share that twinkles someplace blissfully outside of time. Untimeliness was still uncomfortable, and as I wandered through a peaceful labyrinth of joggers and their wide-eyed huskies panting at me, their dog breath percolating in my cochleas, heading, headlights flushing out my thoughts of waft, wafting chrysanthemums, Worn petal corpses buried in an old yard. It was the call of the multitude of cicadas, showing me their February faces, their grinding noise finding its way into my ear fluid, a glue holding my fragmented history together. And I bet if LJ were here, I would make some quip about how the insects and I imbibe on the same substances, and we would laugh until the sky becomes quiet. Put that in your pipe and smoke it. This is like one of the first poems I ever wrote. Y'all are like about to hear some amateur hour stuff. To be an artist in any sense or medium is to take what science has to offer, to put it in your pipe and smoke it. Take the ashes out of the pipe and smear it onto something. That's art. I hate the way in which science and art are pitted against each other, like two ends of a worm that wriggle away from each other, neither of them cognizant of the fact that they are the same worm. I hate the way in which science and art are conjoined in our understanding, because goddammit, whoever thought of a worm divided into two hemispheres by two brains which are moreover divided into two hemispheres? Fortunately, biological research has shown that Segmented worms, phylum, annelida, have two cerebral ganglia, which are considered primitive brains. So there are no hemispheres by which to split this creature in two, but it allows for a damn good poetic metaphor. To be an artist in any sense or medium is to take what science has to offer, to put it in your pipe and smoke it, scrape the gunk out of your lungs, and smear it onto something. That's art. I was a boy. And as a boy, I stamped my boy feet into the earth, assuming that as I did so, I would be propelled forward. 
but my legs were tools, and I had to implement them properly, which meant bending and breaking my knees until I eventually threw in the towel. Now I have escaped the trap of boyhood and stepped into a terrain in which anatomy serves little purpose. Well, that's a lie. Its purpose is to disrupt this newly stretched skin suit condom called non-binariness, although it also seeks to understand what I am before soaking me in a formaldehyde jar. It was on a dark dance floor in Petersburg where I learned that even a stretched out skin suit condom non-binary fag can learn to bend one's legs in order to propel to and fro to reach a destination that can't be found on a metro map, not even Yandex. To be an artist in any sense or medium is to take what science has to offer, to put it in your pipe and smoke it. Take the buzzing in your head and transmogrify it into something I can perceive. That's art. A dear poet told me yesterday that he has a tornado in his throat. He helped me realize that all my life, I had been using my lungs to snatch notes out of the air to reverberate in the ears of my audience as song. So too do sound waves reverberate through graphs and waveforms in full view of self-eating, self-replicating donuts and a liar who pulls himself out of a swamp by his ponytail. Fuck bootstraps. We now know that everyone deserves a chance to live. I can carry that feeling through limbo, a voyeur into the lives and meals of the petty bourgeois white people, just as a pink goose is currently acting as a voyeur of my process, which is throwing my pipe against the wall to see what sticks. To be an artist in any sense or medium is to take what science has to offer, to put it in your pipe, and smoke it. Take the ashes out of the pipe and add more science. That's art. Mohammed El Khord was the uh, poet who talked about the um, tornado in his throat. He had like a lot of metaphors for that. He was actually the guy who got me into poetry, like straight up. I um saw a reading of his um, sponsored by SJP at the school I was attending at the time. And um, next day I started writing poems. And I think this was one of like, my first ones. Uh, put that in your pipe. So next one is gridlock. The words get distorted and garbled in a gridlock of self. I was sitting in a car being educated by my father on how my mom probably knew more gay people than I ever will. Naturally, I reach into my ribcage, my fingers scraping frantically for the tactful and respectful way of pointing out the irony of their collective ignorance. The world rolled out like an avalanche and a gridlock of self. As I try to explain to Freddy how there is a tightly wound ball of energy and shapes resting uneasily in my stomach, ink blots that turn perfectly good ideas into danger music and rudeness, and that's why no one likes to talk to me. The words pour out like vomit in a gridlock of self, as that nice-aged white woman offers up her monthly edict straight from the sacred scroll. As a trumpet sounds, there's a knife at my throat, and we cry out at the altar. And later, my dad recounts the drawbacks of circumcision and the poetry of Arabic that is lost on both of us. The words get stuck in my craw again in a gridlock of self, as I stand with a microphone in my hand recounting memories of corn kernels and the wrinkles of my grandfather, telling him many stories, many lashings. I don't know this Judith Butler person, but fuck if I don't got gender trouble. Are you happy to be in the house of the Lord this morning? The words appear on my iPhone in a gridlock of self, combating my dysphoria in fatigues, the faint sounds of Uncle Jack watching Andy Griffith. I show my phone to Sam with a knowing smile on my face, reaching across my seat, as my dad turns to me and asks me what I'm smiling about. Mejor que no te des cuenta. It's 
better if you don't realize. Muzzy. After an indiscriminate 20 years on this good earth, I realize I have gradually lost my childishness. I've become increasingly an adult at the expense of that coveted ichor that I think the Spaniards called youth, or as I will call it, my muzzy. Muzzy is something that I find increasingly difficult to describe at my age. Suffice to say that this word encompasses such a tangle of brutally simple emotions, raw and unintelligible desires, and a miasma in place of a full-grown brain. Muzzy, a malady that is symptomized by growing your hair long, showing a general disinterest in wearing shoes, dancing in the grass in a sundress, wanting to become a mermaid, and throwing flower petals all over your future fiancé's yard. My sister has turned 10 years old, and her hair is just as blonde as that of patient zeros, whose muzzy infection was so strong, I often found myself trying to hit it big on YouTube with a combination of terrible radio metal and a yard full of Nerf darts. My birthday sister has no dream to follow, so she spends her time reading about cryptids, watching Supernatural and Scooby-Doo, and engaging in Mortal Kombat with foam swords. Now she is 10 and I am 20, and I realize that after all this time, I have needed her to share a bit of her muzzy with me. So tonight, I was brave enough, sick enough, to ask for a straight guy's number, to stand in the Pennsylvanian draft in my shorts, with my bare feet soaking up the sprinkler dew, dancing to distant sirens in my own way, grateful for the day's decisions, especially wishing patient zero about 15 happy birthdays. The hedonist goes further. Yesterday, I woke up feeling the pink bump murking in the flesh of my neck. First my armpits, and now here, lamenting that I am the only one who can keep myself going further. In high school, I had a car, a 98 Passat, vomit green, splotched through the years. I probably washed the damn thing a total of three times in two years, a few hundred gallons of low-octane fuel, ate a metric fuck-ton of McChickens, sitting in that soiled, torn beige seat at night. I'd crumple them into yellow balls and let them fill the car. I stood over the moonroof, looking down, and dove in my own personal play place. I remember the pizza Dad used to make, and Mom dabbing the slice with a dry napkin to soak up the grease while I drowned my slice in Parmesan. In the afternoon hours... In the attic, with each drum on my sun-bleached Stratocaster, I would take a grinder of sound in my ears, shaving down my eardrums with each distorted tremble of the strings. The sawdust used to swim through the attic window, and once it began to mingle with the light, I would still hear via that dust, that phantom limb. How alive! The ear dust danced with me, shaking with every scratching chord against the counter wall from the amp at my feet. I would scream with my forehead against the wall, and dream of dissolving. Rusted chords, my fingers spread like feathers on the grimy fretboard. Each string strike a gust of wind, agitating the dust. The blades ground my ears and vocal cords, and each grain of bodily dirt scraped my throat and ears. I kept strumming, kept screaming, kept sanding myself down. Became a film of self-sawdust, inches thick, that covered the spare bed, clogging the air vent blocking the light from the attic window. The dust dance settled as the daylight became swallowed. I think I care about myself. Only myself. My body, not so much. Yesterday I smoked numerous joints of sour diesel, 
watching my brain buzz upwards, eyelids battening down. Burning cherry fell on my pant leg. This milky smoke stream made its way to my skin, or it too would be me. The bulge on my neck has grown taller. My reflection grimaces back at me as I gently touch it. I reach behind my mirror for a crumpled tube of that reads first aid antibiotic and squeeze a pale green dollop onto my fingertip. Like it or not, this responsibility is mine alone. I am the only one who can keep myself going further. Soup date. And if this wasn't already like abundantly clear, this is for my partner, Freddie, who I love a lot. If the sky lit, yeah. If the sky is a backlit white, the cirrus high above is a depression left from a fallen animal scraping into a solid. Dirt and sand finding its way into knotted fur and open wounds. I hadn't eaten a home in three days. A few thousand words had to be written within as much time. There's nothing worse for my health than converging deadlines. Couldn't remember the last time I ate a vegetable or anything green. So Freddie came over with Panera, spinach, and apples were the medicine I needed. Also, ten vegetable soup, some carrots and chard steeping, cut in chunks. We called it a home meal because home is wherever I'm with you. Immediately we realized that we both hate tomatoes. We both wished for one less flavor, one less gash. They kissed me and giggled, tasted the once living things in their ripeness and the living things that we are. What the balcony is for, also for Freddy. I like to let the ash collect, my sunset cherries. Far too much steel against these clouds, simple mixture, like sherbet. I'm held back by my bra strap, tethered well into the concrete. Waves of swamp swirling across the fence. Darling, it feels like so long since we last spoke. Do you think Sappho would approve of us? No regard for that ancient security. We sleep bare-chested. Smoke curling beside my mouth, leaves twinkling. I wonder how latently these colors wash our jirai, the coils forever steaming. We have become so jumbled in our late night searching. I don't feel like we've missed anything worth weeping over. Full cinnamon jars, two cups of chai make for a meager apology. Allow me to sweep the concrete clean and finally take the goddamn garbage out today. Looking at it laid before oneself, clear observation deck, appreciating the yellow spices staining a few dozen windshields. Sun bleached, the chair cushion turns from restaurant red to bruised peach meat. Drowsy reconnaissance, and I know what the balcony is for. Spawn. The tube in the spray bottle is too long and bends, blessed primitive spine. The basil plant that I named Basil in an attempt to not let it die is drooping its heaviest wilts, hanged heads, curves crease white to green to brittle gray, paper-thin stems like barbed wire. And for once, I want to grow something, dirty myself with my old midnight hours spent with the dust in my ears and mouth. On the nightstand, a brick of soil slit with an X. On TV, an autopsy begins with a Y cut. Maybe this one works in reverse. Spraying the little bottle, cinnamon and paprika and flour get to know each other in the soil. Oyster mushrooms spawn. A cardboard says under the word ingredients, you bet your ass they are indeed vegan. Turmeric. Maybe this one works. At midnight, you touch me. I feel for that switch. 
surface for a ray bottle, where a seed sits and waits to think on something motherly. You help me clean the countertops, and you do the dishes, and I sweep. Let us make a home, a kitchen, a garden. Maybe this one works. One cigarette. And this one is for all my friends, uh, Delilah, Parvi, Regina, and I think it was Issa, if I remember correctly, who went with me to the National SDS Conference in 2019. This one's for all y'all. One cigarette. Opened a door that led to a porch, a familiar place for a poet. And every time I take one, Regina has to be my darling gay mom and tell me that I don't need to start doing something that'll kill me. As if we're not already destined for a ditch somewhere. A cell sold to a state more lucrative than any chain of hotels. Most of the time I puff on, not in, wondering what my mom will notice. Led to a room without a wall in which there was not light not nearly dark enough for sleep and not quite bright enough to see in without strain. A cantaloupe color that wishes it could be felt in the golden hour. A piss color of stains left on my teeth from honey glaze and honey blunts for honey bun. A darkness in which twenty bodies slept and snored and shared a silence. This was a color I hadn't anticipated to see spark from the white stick in my mouth. Yeah, there it was, that candied fire. Outside on the porch, we talked about our own little yellowing pieces. Of all the people I am afraid of, and this is after Human Wen's poem, the worst is probably something, someone next door, seeing something smoldering between my fingers, sniffing. One call to a landlord, Phoenix over his lapel, and that'd probably be sufficient. Could be another frat bow asking why I wear nail polish, being unable to find clasps that fit the choker around my neck. I see a girl on TikTok with red fishnets covering her face, black balloons protruding like anime pigtails. I see that, and dear God, that is exactly what I want. There was someone new at work who came from the same small town. It seemed impossible, but somehow we missed each other back then. I told her I used they-them pronouns, and she asked me, after she asked me, tonight, my neighbor came home drunk, helped home by a friend. My neighbor goes inside. His friend walks past me while I fumble with a roach. She looks at me as she passes and says, weren't you in jazz band at Chipola for like two weeks? Yeah, and how the fuck did you remember that? I tell her I'm glad she gave my neighbor a ride home. Are you his friend or something? And I can't help but grin as I light the roach. Moon poem. And this is after Brendan Joyce's poem, Even the Moon. I sit on the balcony each night if I can help it. After five hours of work behind a desk where they can't stand up to creeps who hate women, wait until they, wait until they get a load of that's all I want to do. So I spend a moment talking to the moon. They outshone the electric lights illuminating the state capitol building. Many of us stood against the first chill breeze of the year, and also cops. Don't forget the yelling and the chanting and the sign holding and the sign-up sheet. And the moon is in the one who had sent me in there and... Now here's how you know the condominiums are evil, Johns. My dad tells me, as if I wouldn't tear these down myself if I could. There sits a cove outside of Destin, where the shore is bordered by grass like tawny fur. 
The car's tires crunch over white gravel. Here, too, the fish fillets sizzle on this August day. There are only glimpses of the sea and skyline in between the massive 30-story cocks they call resort hotels. One ninety-nine a night for a glimpse of the sun setting over the gulf. They rise too high for gulls to perch. Crab shells litter the beach behind. My dad also tells me about before all of that, when old salts could sit a chair on the side of the front beach road and sip their Michelob. When lovers wandered in the sand dunes without shame. When the safety flags were still green. My dad will never know about my first dates after high school, especially the one with a boy in Destin, who took me to Hot Topic, bought me crab sashimi that I couldn't stomach. I did tell my dad about Freddy after a few months, about how excited we were for them to finally start testosterone. I'm going on vacation with my partner, and I wonder what my dad would think, as Freddy and I mined the tide pools I dream of in Appalachia in the condo's shadow, an expanse of oyster shells crunching under our feet, sea salt, and the mute whistle of wind over the waves. On the way there, Freddy will not stop joking about the next town over, soft choppy. They'll cup two hands into the dingy salt water, hold their hands up, cradling a mink hermit crab. They'll build a shrine of shells from crabs cleaned on porcelain plates, in the VIP lounge on the 30th floor. Enjoy your sea salt season diarrhea, you outlet shoppers. Cucumber water for the Creval Jack to choke on. We return to our $49 Airbnb with its many pictures of the shore. Each numbered pier and PCB separates each restaurant and condo into each mass gravesite filled with feathers and claws and chitin. Freddie and I take my dad aside as I tell him with exasperation, now here's how you know the condominiums are evil, Dad. Pulling up a loose boardwalk plank. The stench hits him first, then the sudden egress of sand mites scattering into the sunlight. I've got half a mind to drop him down there. As the surviving crustaceans, my partner and I begin to plot our improvised demolition. Dialectic. Realization must have come, morning when your dad banged on the door. Chemical beads, analog flutes, and a yellowed glass day. The sun drips a glaze like honey, a cheese puff or a spark and a silencer, the biggest you've ever seen, blood and milk, and then you flip a coin. You've been sent for, my lord, you've been sent for. You decide to put up with this morning. The weight on your eyes becomes bearable. You remember what sits waiting for you outside this room. And it's them. Rather, their home. Five years later, they walked past a statue to a plantation owner, and the person walking beside them kicked it in her plastic flip-flops. Seven years later, I would begin to write. This time, I would continue. About the author. Hey, that's me. John Marshall Palmer is a non-binary poet, student, and activist. Their work has been published in Underground, Angles, Cleaning Up Glitter, Cathexas, who gives a shit? Um, you can find me on Twitter at Master of Musics with an X. Uh, again, massive thank you to Marls Karks for hosting this. Massive thank you to Pearl Sound, Matilda, and her um, 
helpers and everyone. Thank you very much for supporting this book. uh, And thank you so much for listening.